2: on News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
2: And I'm Deborah Lewis,
3: Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. Alan,
1: this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you?
4: Uh, my mother is 74, and she has a majority of her investments now in certificates of deposit at different banks. Right. Uh, she does have some tax-free bonds. And a few, what I would call, uh, mutual funds in utility. Right. What kind of investments should she be making now, considering her age?
1: She's 74.
4: 74.
1: Uh, how much does she have in CDs?
4: Probably 400000
1: 400000 in CDs, and how much in her tax-free bonds?
4: Uh, probably in all of her other investments, around 200000 more.
1: Do you know what her living expenses are?
4: She lives well within her... Um, means and uh, with a little security
2: to get. What's her health like? Uh, excellent. She's a widow, Alan?
4: Uh, yes, she is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, well, assuming, you know, God forbid she died tomorrow, then this might be fine. However, uh, assuming she, if she's still in good health, then uh, she's really hurting her heirs. By the way, what about her home? Uh,
4: it's paid for.
1: How much is it worth?
4: Uh, probably eighty to a hundred thousand.
1: Well, one thing that jumps out right off the bat, knowing that she's a widow, if she's got four hundred in CDs and two hundred muni's and a hundred thousand, that's uh, seven hundred thousand. And uh, if there's going to be any growth, even if there's only about a three percent, you know, with, when you're talking about those muni's and, and utility funds and CDs, they're not real exciting. But even if that was the case with only three percent at fifteen years she'd have over a million dollars. So uh, from the investment side, what I would do is I would have her in a diversified portfolio. I'd take the uh, four and two, the 600,000, and maybe break it into $50,000 unit sizes. So if you got uh, 600,000 and you divide it by your uh, $50,000 units, then she'd have 12 investment units, and I would spread it across 12 different mutual funds, quite frankly. And in each of those cases, I would go according to the past track record of the managers. She's able to live off of whatever portfolio she's in. So really what we're designing here is a portfolio that's going to let the estate grow the best for her heirs. You see what I'm saying? I understand. The phone number at the office is 919-872-7000. But then I would also do the estate plan simultaneously. And you could do that one of a couple of ways, but one way that comes to mind would be using the Section 664 trust. She has the very strong possibility of leaving an estate well over a million dollars if she lives a little while. And so you could have all of this growth in the Section 664 trust with uh, yourself. And how many other heirs are there besides yourself? A total of four. Well, you could have four beneficiaries, income beneficiaries from the trust, so that the trust would then pay out for the lifetime of those four.
4: She's of the age that grew up during the Depression. Right. How do you get them to understand that the money in the CDs is a losing proposition to her just because of inflation? Well... And and out into something maybe a little more risky, but still a very safe investment.
1: Well, it's not a matter of risky or safe. It's a matter of her living expenses being met. How much do you think she needs to live on?
4: She's living on about
1: 15000 a year. $15,000 divided by 600000 is 2%, 2.5%. Well, we could increase her income to 30000 a year without having any real risk, in my opinion, of depleting principal Most senior citizens need to have education from an independent certified financial planner, someone who is impartial, not trying to sell them something, but someone who can educate, analyze and decide what's best and and help them understand what's best. Very often when they see that their estate is going to be paying a couple hundred thousand dollars in taxes, that really uh, starts to bother them. So it's an educational process. if she's open for education then you should set up a meeting with a certified financial planner and let her uh, um, go through a session of education
2: we find this is a typical situation we 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 have a lot of cases like a that. lot of widows that you know their husbands accumulated you know over their lifetime or maybe they both were you know had income and uh, or they inherited assets that have appreciated and um, they don't always need all the income but you want to certainly, as Doug said, you want to make sure you're meeting her her need, but also you want to look to the future. Right, Doug?
1: Yeah, but I think Alan's question is how do you explain that to her? He understands it very well. And the answer is still uh, uh, you've got to get her in front of a planner. Usually the child cannot explain that to the mom and dad. Right. That's been our experience. The children that have brought them to us, usually uh, it's a very different environment than because the planner is able to speak directly, you know, with the parent.
2: So, uh, if you'd like to call the office, Alan, our number in Raleigh is nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. That's USA seven thousand. And thank you so much for calling. All right, thank you. Take care now. Well, Doug, um, you know we were we were discussing about the the rise of the female investor and how many times I know that in our office, when husbands and wives come in, usually it's the husband most of the time that you know, is more into the finances.
1: It depends Not on his, always. That's right. But but, it, well, it depends on the stage of life again. What, right. I, what I found so interesting, Linda, in this particular article was that something is changing in the U.S. The number of women-owned firms increased by 54% in the last decade or so. And then it said that as of 2012, there are over 8 million women-owned businesses in the U.S., And they predicted that one study showed that over the next 25 years, women will dominate once male-dominated fields like law and medicine. And with all these statistics, nevertheless, the surveys are showing that men are still more likely than women to take the lead with the family financial accounts. And this is sort of shocking when you looked at it that way. Uh, There was a study that was also referenced that said that 19% Nineteen percent of the wives said they took control of financial decision making, as opposed to thirty-eight percent of the husbands. And yet, among the female breadwinners, breadwinners only twenty percent were said they felt very well prepared. And as far as the men, over forty-five percent felt they were prepared. So there's to a, make
2: there, wise financial decisions. Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> and so there there is there is a real discrepancy here. And the whole focus is that the female investor is a rising, uh, she represents a need that's out there that is not being met.
2: I agree. She definitely does. And the article said that uh, women differ substantially from men in how they relate to investing. They don't want to hear about growth or comparative performance of different funds, but they want information about reaching their long-term goals. I really like that. Did you like, I like that statement? Yeah, it's because
1: goal-oriented. It's not. It's not the thrill of the kill, you know. <laughs> or the get, analysis. That's of right. Let's get this stock. Or betas let's and get, alphas. That's exactly right. Men through the years have sat in my office and they have loved to play all of these strategies and everything. But the women seem to be much hey, more
2: goal-oriented. Hey, listen. You know the moms out there. Uh, they're the ones that you know. Uh, they do all the the mom work, you know, taking care of kids, orthodontia, soccer games, you know, the laundry, you name it. They're doing it, but they're all and so you know, when when a child gets sick and has the fever, they're going to be up through the night taking care of their little one, and. What's in their heart is making sure that they're going to be able to provide for that child's college education, right? In the long run, they're going to want to make sure that life is comfortable when it comes time for retirement, right, Doug? It is right.
1: And then the stage of retirement, the ones that have come, I'm thinking of the different ones through the years that we have dealt with in every stage. If you just think, I can think of, uh, of one particular uh, female client of ours when she first came to us somewhere 20 years ago, she and her husband, she was an entrepreneur. And I think you may remember who I'm talking about. Right, right. Okay. Well, she got it in her head that we were focusing on financial independence, goals, analyzing her living expense, when you'd be able to, and she got right behind it. Well now, 20 years later, she is so satisfied, both she and her husband, Because he was much more in a different realm, but she is happy that she is now financially independent. They're living the life that they always wanted to live. Taking
2: care of the grandkids.
3: And they fit
1: perfectly (laughs) into this category.
2: Right. If you
3: want to call us during the week to set up an appointment for yourself, give me a call at 919-872-7000, and we will get started. We'll make
2: a list of the questions that are on your mind. There are many clients who... um, because they they watch their expenses and they may have you know substantial assets but because they've been really disciplined over time um you know and sometimes they they worry are they going to have um you know if are they going to have enough money in the long run and um but because they're frugal You know, and enjoy life along the way, golfing, taking care of the grandkids, visiting them, et cetera. There is a comfort.
1: I'll bet you I know the one you're thinking of. When she came to see us, only within the last three years, I believe, she was that kind of person. But no sooner than we analyzed everything, built a plan, and showed her how her goal of having a fairly risk-averse portfolio – giving all of the income she needs to achieve her goals, then her stress factor went down and she's able to go ahead, which she is today. We're focusing on her continual, looking at her living expenses each time we get together. The type of of woman that this article is referring to is probably the huge majority because the article said that in general, more than men, women are Disciplined thinkers and good long-term planners. I like that because that, that jives with my experience.
2: I, I, I believe we, so, too. We have seen
1: women come to us in their 70s, a couple in their 80s. We've seen them in their 20s and 30s and 40s. But I think that uh, this article is really focusing on the fact that women make better long-term clients. They're more likely to buy and hold. I. Uh, they're more likely to make money as investors in the financial markets because they don't take as many risks as men. I like that.
2: That's a, yeah, that, that, that that's my
1: experience.
2: It's true. It's really true. And if financial services companies want to make uh, some money off the masses of the female breadwinners, they're going to have to engage with them on a different level, aren't they, Doug? Yeah,
1: I think that's the problem, though, Linda. They not They're not geared to it. You take the, the, the large brokerage firms, the Merrill Lynch's, the Edward Jones's, all the big uh, firms out there that are dealing with investments, they're not geared towards uh, financial planning, focusing on clients' living expenses, analyzing their needs from that viewpoint and so forth. They're much more into the world of just the investments themselves. And although the investments are important, the goals are crucial. And that is, I think that's the problem there. That's, that, that's what the article was pointing us to, that uh, there's a disconnect between what's out there for women.
2: So it's, it's important, isn't it, Doug, to keep clients on track with meeting their goals and their personal interests and their long-term goals.
1: And finding, that's right. And the way you do that is you find a financial advisor who is competent in that area of starting with those goals, analyzing those living expenses, meeting those goals, coming up with strategies to achieve those goals, and without tooting our own horn too much, I think that describes Doug and Linda Lewis at Lewis Financial Management.
2: And and the rising ranks of female earners who need to change their attitudes about money, well, they need to get comfortable, not only with investing, but with seeking reliable financial advisors also, by educating themselves about the basics, that was one comment in the article. So take out a pen and paper, write down our number, it's
3: 919-872-7000, hold on to that pen and paper, and maybe you'll get some ideas of things you should talk about. And I think one of the most exciting areas is the world of REITs.
1: You know, it's funny, but Deborah, it wasn't too long ago, maybe two years ago, that very few people even heard that term so much. And now the REITs are getting as much uh, um, press as just about anything else. Matter of fact, in the Wall Street Journal, there was a whole front page story, cheaper by the dozen, on a new kind of REIT. So I guess we should begin by telling the public one more time, what is a REIT?
2: And that's a real estate investment trust, right?
1: That's right. It's a real estate investment trust. R-E-I-T. That's exactly what it is. It looks like a stock of, just like any other stock, like IBM or like uh, General Electric. But it is a stock of a company that holds a whole bunch of real estate. And there's all kinds of REITs that are out there. The unique thing about the REITs, of course, is that they pay a very high dividend. And the story, story in the Wall Street Journal was about a new kind of REIT. You know, investing in single-family homes is becoming very popular on the individual level. Uh, And now, somehow, Wall Street itself has dreamed up a new way for investors to become landlords without worrying about 3 o'clock in the morning plumbing calls or late rent payments.
3: (laughs) Which is usually the uh, negative to being a A single-family home (laughs) landlord. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, a lot
1: of clients come into our offices, don't they, Deborah? Don't they, Linda? Asking us, what should we uh, do with our rental house? So we've got a a home where, is it a good uh, opportunity, rental real estate? But firms now that invest in real estate have been buying up foreclosed houses, and these firms now own tens of thousands of these single-family homes, and they're beginning to package them in REITs.
3: So while many REITs used to just own commercial buildings, now they're going into the single-family home industry.
1: That's right. We've seen our commercial REITs, raw land REITs, shopping center REITs. Uh, mini warehouse REITs. Senior living. Senior living REITs. Uh-huh. All kinds of REITs. You're exactly right. But now we have this new kind of REIT, and these are residential property REITs, individual homes.
3: Right now, there are two single family REITs that have just gone public, and at least two more have announced that they plan to do so. So this sounds like a very new part of the business or the industry.
1: You know, investors are nibbling in part because they're hungry for returns, and that's the uh, the attractiveness about REITs. REITs have a special tax law that requires them to pay out 90% of their income and therefore remain tax-free themselves. So if the income comes in... In the form of rents. That's where it's coming in from rents, and they got to pay it out. That means those REITs pay a very high dividend, and that's what makes them so attractive to the investing public. And this has been a a common story. We've touched on REITs off and on the last, oh, three, four, five years on our radio program, but newer and newer types of REITs are coming out. And this residential property REIT is very interesting. I think uh, we're going to see more and more of this attractiveness because it touches on what a lot of individual investors always ask us.
3: You're listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Call to make an appointment with Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner of Lewis Financial Management. Call 919-872-7000 or visit our website, dougandlinda.com. All right,
1: so we have this new way to invest in individual homes. And the question that a lot of people ask is, does it make sense? Does it make sense to own a sliver of 10,000 homes or just to own one if you want to be the landlord? And and so,
3: Yeah, they, well, some of the considerations are the potential headaches of being a landlord include prolonged <laughs> vacancies, unexpected maintenance and repair costs, deadbeat tenants, difficulty refinancing. And if you own only one or two properties, your exposure to a catastrophic event, fire or flooding, for example, is going to grow exponentially larger.
1: That's true, Deborah. It's really true. And what the REIT offers is the ability to deal with the headaches by spreading them out over thousands of properties. So unlike someone, let's say in Raleigh, who owns one home or even dozens of homes, the REIT has the opportunity to reduce cost through big investments in technology scouring the United States all over the country to get other properties that fill the same basic profile. You have to look at your level of pain, too, I think. You're um, right. You are right. because Can you stand being a landlord? Right, right. And uh, there are pros and cons of being a landlord. Personally, I think there's a lot more cons than pros. But if you can stand the pain and buy a couple of properties and hire a management company, then that's the way to go. But I think if you can't stand the pain yourself, the best way is to go into the REITs. It's a lot smarter way to go. You know, right now, unfortunately, however, there are only a few options for retail investors to look into buying one of these new single-family REITs. But I believe they're going to be coming more and more to the market. I know in the non-traded REIT sector, there are some single-family REITs out there. But it's a new uh, investment opportunity, and the world of REITs
2: itself is very, very um, uh, newsworthy. It really is. Doug, isn't a REIT also a stabilizing factor in a person's portfolio.
1: A lot of people think so, Linda. Yes, it is. Uh, The confusion, however, is it doesn't correlate with other parts of the market. You're exactly right. So, uh, if stocks go up, bonds generally go down, and things like that correlate. Uh, REITs don't function that way. It's non-correlating. But what confuses people is the difference in yield and total return. What's the difference in yield and total return, Deborah?
3: Well, yield is going to be, um, for example, in the REIT example, a monthly check to you as the investor. All right. So, I invested a certain amount of money. My yield from that investment means I'm going to receive a check from the investment.
1: All right. And what's the yield on a stock? The dividend. What's the yield on a bond? The interest. Okay. So, this is the yield. And right now, yields are very low on most investments, pretty much every investment, but yields are very high on REITs.
3: And that's but, because the nature of what the REIT is. its It has to pass through its ex- rental checks, exactly, rental
1: income. Exactly. But what is the total return as a definition in the investment world? When when a mutual fund says our total return for the last year has been uh, 11%, what does that mean?
3: Well, the value of the fund might have appreciated.
1: That's part of it. The value of the fund appreciated, but total return includes that yield being reinvested back it, into it. Back yes, back into it. Correct. When a, when a mutual fund uh, announces its return, they include the yield and the growth all wrapped back together again. Well, we have to understand that total return is the yield plus the growth of the REITs themselves.
2: You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda and Deborah Lewis, and financial planning is our business at Lewis Financial Management. If you have questions about your situation or need a second look at your overall uh, planning, Call us at Lewis Financial Management in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Leave us your name and number. We'll be happy to get back with you and see what we can do to assist you with your financial planning. Well, Doug, there was a really interesting article uh, that I I, I
3: kept my eye on during the week, because we tend to use a lot of the same philosophy, and that is, it was labeled the case for spending it. And underneath it said, after all, there's more to life than amassing assets.
1: You know, it's interesting, because so many of the articles that have come out recently, and even the ones we've been addressing on our show, have to do with what's the way to withdraw 4% principle, what's the way to withdraw from your investment portfolio so that you don't deplete it over your lifetime. But this article here made a very good case of spending more. And I like the way it was put together because there really is more to life than just amassing wealth and dying with the biggest part.: of The
3: real of goal money. is not to die with the most
1: money. No, no. Managing the balance between living in the moment and saving for the future is always a challenge, but it becomes even more so as you move into retirement.
3: And most savers will die leaving behind vacations that they haven't taken, family gatherings they haven't gone to, and those kind of things that they passed over. That's
1: really sad. Uh, If you think about it, more than likely, one of the couple, either the he or the she, in retirement, will pass away first, right? Correct. Oh, that's true. Most of the time, they don't die simultaneously. And so, the widow or the widower who's left behind has that feeling so often, we missed it.
2: A feeling of regret yeah
1: we we, we we focus so much on accumulating and on on preserving our wealth and everything and now uh, he's gone and we didn't have all the vacation all the travel all the things that we spent uh, dreaming about in our working years and so I really like the focus this of course is our focus at Lewis financial management so many some so many times I'm telling clients aren't I Linda that you need to spend
2: more you need to take more vacation more more trips you need to have fun along the way because yep. people work hard especially small business owners you spend a lot of time um, either taking care of your employer or taking care of the business and then taking care of the children etc cetera, etc cetera. but it is important to spend that money that you've accumulated isn't it isn't it true that especially with some of our, our older clients, they're, they're worried that they're going to run out of money.
1: You know, we've been announcing recently that we're giving away a free book on, uh, uh, to all new clients that come in. And you remember the title of that new book is Middle Class Millionaire. So we've been giving away copies of Middle Class Millionaire to all new clients that come in for appointments, and we will still continue to do so. So if you're out there listening, uh, don't wonder. Call us, schedule an appointment to meet with us, and we will have a copy waiting for you from Middle Class Mil- of Middle Class Millionaire. But in the book, it does exactly say that, Linda, that so many who have accumulated on paper, they are millionaires. They have accumulated, but they still have middle-class values. And in reality, many of these people are really, in my opinion, too conservative. They're not enjoying enough. And so our job as a financial planning firm is to help them enjoy more of the lifestyle of the millionaire that they need to.
3: Give us a call during the week at Lewis Financial Management. Make an appointment to sit down face-to-face and discuss your, your situation. The number at our office during the week is 919-872-7000. That's Lewis Financial
2: Management, 919-872-7000. You know, it's it's uh it's sad when folks work hard and accumulate and don't take time to take that vacation that they always dreamed about doing in retirement. Um, And I think that's where it's really important to bring in the
3: the different aspects of financial planning. Not only is the retirement planning, but then while you're planning to retire and after you've retired, there's cash flow planning. That's right. And and that's really where a financial planner can help you take that next step. I've amassed a certain amount of wealth. I have this fear that I'm going to outlive it. I want to know how to spend it responsibly. And I want to enjoy some of these things that I may have put off along the way.
1: That's exactly the role of the financial planner.
3: And they can really help you figure out how much is enough or more than enough.
1: That's exactly right. The goal is to enjoy financial independence because most people are more active early in retirement and because expenses tend to decline with age, it's okay to focus earlier in retirement on spending more because more than likely later on, you will be spending less. You're also going to have more flexibility. And I like encouraging clients of ours to maybe think of downsizing or selling the home. Jeff, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you this evening?
5: Hey, good evening, Doug and Linda. Um, Good evening. your daughter. Um, Deborah. (laughs) Thank you. That's all right.
1: Uh, Well, how can I help you this evening, Jeff?
5: So two questions, Doug. So the first one is Um, I have a, a brokerage account at Wachovia that I've had for probably over a decade or more, All right, and I have cert- I have a whole slew of transactions that I've gotten out of, or let's say I've unrealized losses per se, okay. in the last 10 years that uh, I have never accounted for on my tax return. So the question is, on as far as the non-IRA account, what is the time frame that I have for which I can delay or put up before I realize those losses? Second question is: Can you help me understand inside of an IRA if I have gains or losses realized from trading transactions? Are they going to type tax
1: Your voice, your voice cut out in the middle halfway through that question. I, I heard you. I heard you say gains and losses inside the IRA. And what was the rest?
5: The question was, is there a different tax structure for those once I become 70 and a half or when I start withdrawing from the IRA?
1: Okay, tell me a little bit of your numbers. Uh, how old are you, Jeff?
5: 46.
1: You're 46 years old, married or single?
5: Married with two children.
1: Married, two children. What's your income, Jeff? About
5: 115000
1: 115000 and is all of your investment, port- oh, no, you said part of your portfolio is non-retirement and some retirement. What's the breakout? How much do you have in qualified monies, first of all?
5: Uh, so, first of all, from, an, from the retirement perspective, I have about a quarter of a million.
1: 250000 mm-hmm. Is that all in IRAs or is some of that 401ks? Four, 401k and IRA
5: combo. Most, right. part of, big, big, most of it is in the self-directed IRA.
1: All right. About how much of the 400 is in the uh, IRA?
5: Uh, it's in well. Out of the two hundred and fifty, you're talking about two hundred and fifty. Yeah, two hundred and fifty. I have about one hundred and fifty of that in
1: the IRA. All right, one hundred and fifty, and a hundred's in the four hundred and one k. And you're forty six years old. What do you have in the um, non retirement portfolio? About uh, fifty thousand. Fifty thousand. Yes. Okay. Well, the first thing is, and and this amount that's over at in the brokerage account, how much is over there? I uh, would
5: say we have, the brokerage account maybe about twenty.
1: I'm sorry, your voice keeps cutting in and out. I, I apologize.
5: apologize. Twenty thousand. Twenty thousand.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, and it's in that twenty thousand dollar brokerage account that you've got the losses.
5: I have a bunch of unrealized losses from some smaller stock speculative stocks. Okay. That never...
1: All right. Unrealized losses, of course, are never uh, an event until they are realized. they can be. Uh, you, you can sell those stocks at any time you want, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, and then those losses become realized and they're usable on your tax return in the year that you make the sale. Until you make the sale, the IRS says you haven't had a loss.
5: So what about if they're companies that went under?
1: If they're companies that went under and they're now defunct companies... Then it's a worthless stock, and you have to report them in the year uh, that you lost.
5: So, if they were defunct in previous years, I'm basically out of luck.
1: I think so. You better check with your CPA. But uh, why didn't you report them? In other words, they're no longer in your brokerage account. They're gone, right?
5: Because I was busy raising two kids.
3: <laughs> I know. <laughs> If you don't have a certified financial planner to work with, if you haven't met with a certified financial planner, call me, Deborah Lewis at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. It might be the most important call that you make this year, 919-872-7000.
1: But when you say they're in your brokerage account, I thought you meant they were stocks in your brokerage account. They're not stocks any longer. They're, they're, they've disappeared from your brokerage statement, right?
5: Yes, correct. And we'll, we'll put it this way. I have some of them that were speculative, right? so under $5 per share, right? Very speculative stocks. And now they're maybe trading at .001 per
1: share. <laughs> oh, well, they haven't gone, they haven't uh-huh. gone defuncting. They're, they're, still, they're still functional companies.
5: Nobody will buy them, but I guess technically they're functional, yeah, at least on paper.
1: Well, I mean, they're, 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 there's, there's an office somewhere and there's a human somewhere. It, it, it's, it's a company of some sort.
5: Or at least a mailbox.
1: Okay. Well, exactly. Buy. Yeah. So, all right. So, yeah, you can uh, you can sell those, uh, uh, or you can uh, dispose of them in some way and turn that unrealized loss into an into a realized loss, uh, at any time. But until you do it. It's, it's worthless. Now, as far as ones that have previously gone under, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you'll have to check with the CPA on that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that you can't go back and, uh, and, and say, well, you know, I lost three years ago, but I forgot to report it on my tax return. You know what I'm saying? Understood. Now, well, the other half of your question was with regard to losses and gains inside your IRA, right? Yes, sir. All right. Those are... They have no effect one way or the other. When, Whenever you start taking money out of your IRA, whether it's after you're 59.5, before you're 59.5, whether it's uh, when you reach 70.5, your required minimum distribution, whenever you start taking it out, it comes out as ordinary income. Doesn't matter whether it's losses or gains inside the IRA.
5: Okay, so then given that statement, so if I have particular gains that I've realized, because essentially what I've done on a certain percentage of my I basically run my own mutual fund. And so I have some gains that I want to protect in certain individual stocks. If I wanted to do some option strategies to protect those gains, if those option strategies realize that that's not taxed at any different rate.
1: That's right. um, Everything that happens inside the IRA is a non-taxable event inside the
5: IRA. uh, That's good to know. That's good to know. I'm long overdue for coming to uh, Lewis Financial Management. Long overdue for something. Well, please
3: do. Call us on Monday or um, you know, uh, let the engineer know before you hang up tonight our uh, phone number so we can call you, but uh, definitely set that appointment in motion. We um, are usually about two months out. We have a, a nice position to be in, so please do make that time to give me a call on Monday. This is Deborah, and uh, we will get started on making that happen for you by the end of the year.
5: Well, I tell you, the folks in the triad don't realize what a blessing they have right now because you've had so many people here, including myself, for the last few years that I've been listening. So well, we
3: really appreciate it. that. Thank you for saying well, that. thank
2: you very much, Jeff. Yes, thank, thank you, so you Jeff. We'll talk to you on Bye. Monday. Thanks for, for calling. Sure. Have a wonderful week. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda and Deborah Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Deborah Lewis. Our number at the office is 919 872
3: 7000. 919 872 7000. Well, recently there was a. Uh Uh, An article in the local paper um, regarding Fleet Feet, Doug, and it was talking specifically about something I've been using uh, and we collectively at the office have been using and talking about with clients, which is what to do when a small business owner wants to get out of that business. So the owner of Fleet Feet. Yes, in this particular situation. Who is that? The owner, Tom Rayner. Okay. He planned to turn over his Carborough-based Fleet Feet empire over to his em- employees, and this is uh, his plan was to do it through an employee stock ownership.
1: Was there, was there a life event that that wanted him there to
3: re- get out? There was. And that was the sad part, was um, he had been diagnosed with cancer. Oh, okay. And this shook up his world. And, of course, you know, I'm thinking of a current client. We, and, well, we, we've seen that, right, that we've through seen the years, this. haven't we? Where,
1: where a small business owner That's becomes right. successful, That's and then right. a life event changes, and now it's time to get out. So, That's what happened right. with fleet okay. Tom Raynor? What happened? So,
3: in his particular situation, he was thinking, well... Prior to this, I'd been thinking of going through the option, uh, use of an ESOP, an employee stock option uh, plan, and um, was hoping to be able to get out of the business through that method.
1: So the ESOP is a very unique and a wonderful uh, way to sell the business to your own employees and let your employees then own the business. And it can work wonderfully. It really can.
3: And his incentive was the same incentive that most... Uh, uh, business owners who want to do this. Two things. He had ready buyers by his having employees who were interested in purchasing. Right. And he also his other incentive was to have this tax savings that comes from it. That's exactly right. Those so they the
2: definitely t- had an interest yes. in the purchase of
3: the business, right, right. right? And so you have this.
1: You have the two benefits, Linda, that Deborah just mentioned. You have a a, a buyer. And you have tax benefits because much of the strategy of the ESOP is tax-free. So you sell, you've got a willing buyer, you get tax benefits. So what happened, Deborah?
3: Well, in the end, uh, however, uh, Tom Rayner decided against the ESOP and instead closed on a deal with another local company uh, who is a venture capital player. Why didn't he do the ESOP? Well, the big, uh, okay, well, I was going to get to that, but the big reason he did not choose to go with that was because if he had taken that route, he would not have gotten the big lump sum or the, from the sale of the business that he would have needed to then go on to do the rest of the things he needed to do, wanted to do. Very common, very common. Yes, sir.
1: The employees want to buy it. But there's no way to give the owner who wants out the lump of cash at one time, so it's sort of staged over time, whereas he wants to be bought out with a lump of cash.
3: That's correct. So what he did is, you say he came to a venture capital player? He did. He began to look around and see what um, who were the ones in, in the area, who were uh, what we call angel investors, mm-hmm. and he found this firm that he worked very well with and, and, and was able to... not establish, but uh, create a deal that allowed him to be able to get out of the business and the venture capital players could um, go into some sort of a a different arrangement with the employees where they still had ownership. This is Deborah Lewis. Our number at the office is 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. Well,
1: that is probably the most common way because... Most small business owners end up selling out to either one other buyer or to an angel investor or venture capital player that provides the cash to buy them out in in total or, or in portion. The problem there is that... You get the lump of cash you wanted, but you don't get the tax benefit. You have to end up paying the capital gains taxes.
3: So, really, I wanted to open this up because if you're a listener who is in this situation, a small business owner, who either knows that this will eventually be your question or is your current question, Mm -hmm. what are some of the lessons that we can learn from this local success story? Okay. Well, the
1: story is being promoted as a success story, which in no doubt it is. No doubt it is a success story. But- The lesson to be learned is the two motivations all business owners have behind them when they want to get out is, number one, I want to go ahead and receive cash up front as a lump. And number two, I'd love to have a way to have tax benefits. There could have been a way that he could have done it differently. How is that? Well, he could have structured a charitable trust. Okay. In which he took his stock in his company, in Fleet Feet, he broke it into two parts one large part, one small part. The large part, the bulk of the stock, he gives to the charitable trust.
3: So he's now put shares he owns into a charitable trust.
1: Right. Then the trust sells it to the buyer. Whether it be the venture capital, let's say it's venture capital buyer. Okay, the angel investor buys it from the trust, and it's 100% tax-free.
3: And it'd be tax-free because we know a trust, a charitable trust, is a charitable entity, and it's not going to pay taxes. Correct.
1: So, the entire
3: amount now,
1: got he got his lump of cash. Okay. It's just in a trust, and there's no tax So his loss is zero at this point. He hasn't lost that one-third or whatever it is to taxes. All right, now what happens next? What happens next is...
3: Now he has, instead of stock in a trust, he has cash in a trust.
1: And the key player here is, who is the trustee? He makes himself the trustee of that trust. So the stock goes from him... As the donor. To the trust as the trustee. The trustee sells the stock... To the buyer, the cash comes back to the trust, which is run by himself, and he now pays himself as the income beneficiary a lifetime income. He's converted a hundred percent of that lump into a pension for himself. Sounds wonderful. This is this should have been the strategy that every small business owner considers first as they're looking at transitioning out. Whether it be because of a life event like cancer, whether it be because of a desire to just move on to something else, there's a way that you can have the lump of cash ready and have the tax benefits if you just learn to do it this way. We've done many of those in our office. Clients come to us as small business owners. It's time to move on and... How can we do it and not have to pay the taxes? This is the way to do it. And
3: from personal experience, we can definitely say that this isn't just to someone who owns a brick and mortar store. This can be a farmer. Right. This can be someone who has a highly appreciated stock. Right. So whatever, we, whatever we've learned from this conversation is if you want to... To have something that can create an income stream from for you, a charitable trust might be something that could be very useful as a strategy.
1: That's right. You're basically converting your asset into a pension for yourself.
3: Well, this is a very interesting and complicated part of... Uh, Designing a portfolio from a small business owner's point of view. So if you have questions and you would like to learn a little bit more about how this might fit your particular situation, definitely please give us a call. Uh, Doug and Linda at Lewis Financial Management have been doing this for many, many years and we have a lot of
2: experience in this area. So if you have a situation, call us 919-872-7000, that's 919-USA-7000.
1: Patricia, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you this evening?
6: Hi. Um, we My husband and I have two young children, 7 and 11. And we have about $400,000 of investment. He will still be saving in his retirement plan through work. When... Can we breathe easy and say, Okay, that's enough and oh. start saving for the children's college fund.
1: Okay, so let's let's get some facts. How old are you, Patricia?
6: I'm only thirty five.
1: Thirty five. And your husband, what's his age? Forty
6: five.
1: And he's forty five. And you're in are you working or are you a stay at home mom?
6: No, I work. Too. What
1: what's your income?
6: Um, probably about fifty
1: a year. About fifty a year, and your husband's income is probably
6: about sixty-five.
1: Okay, so we got a family income of about one hundred and fifteen thousand a year, and two children. You said yes, sir. All right, and your total investments are about four hundred thousand. Is all of that in retirement accounts, or is some of that in non-retirement?
6: No, it primarily that that. Hundred is in stocks and various investments,
1: but they're not in a four hundred one k plan.
6: Correct. Okay. Um, now my husband has a four hundred one k at
1: work. Right. Well, that's very good, though, that if uh, at his age that you and he have accumulated 400,000 in personal investments, that's very good because you still time is the one thing that you have on your on your in your on your side, as we talked about earlier in the show. Now, the big question that you're asking ties upon your living expense needs. So what is your what is, what's your lifestyle? What, what what's the what does it cost you to live on a yearly basis, would you say?
6: I would imagine, you know, maybe four thousand dollars
1: a month or so. All right. So we'll start we'll start with those expenses. So four thousand a month, that's forty eight thousand of your hundred and fifteen thousand a year is for your re- your monthly living expenses. Now we have to add in your non monthly stuff like vacations, travel, gifts and things like that. Right. And I'm not really
6: doing a whole lot of that right now. Um I like, wor- I like worrying about that. The other thing is we will have a rental property paid for in two and a half years. All right. So that will be generating twelve dollars to $1,500 a month once that's paid off. All right. So I just want to know, you know, should I wait, you know, until we get that done with and start saving for college or...
1: Well, here... Um, all right, the... You, you have to approach this, and if, by the way, did you jot down our office number?
6: Yes, I have it.
1: Good, because we need to go ahead and get together with you face-to-face and go through your living expenses one by one to get a handle on the target goal. But if indeed all you need is 48000 a year for financial security or for financial independence, then that means you want to accumulate about a $1.2 million portfolio. Okay. okay. All right. Got so, it. yeah, and, and you don't count the rental house in that. Okay. So once you have accumulated a million two, then you are at the point that your portfolio could give you 4000 a month to live on and you wouldn't have to work. Now, it doesn't mean that you quit working. I don't know if you heard about uh, one of our clients earlier on the show we were talking about uh, who's doing a charitable trust. And, of course... Uh, there are it's a young uh, couple they're only in their late 30s and of course uh, he doesn't plan on not working the rest of his life but his goal is he and 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 his wife their goal with their three young children is to reach a point where they don't have to work
3: if you hear something tonight that sounds like your situation call us set up an appointment we can help you 919 872 7000 919 872 7000 it all depends upon your total annual
1: expenses yes so okay. w- so, so, so when, yeah so get get up up yeah, 1. 1. when we yeah Okay. right 1.2 would go co- would go ahead and be able to give you about 4000 a month or 48000 a year and still leave the potential to be growing over the your future years now we when we meet with you we will also get into planning for college how old are your children
6: 7 and 11
1: all right at 7 and 11 you have uh your 11 year old you've got 7 more years and so you've got a long time to uh to accumulate to cover that that need and that's good, okay. too. The one thing you have on your, on your side is time. Uh, you want to do it properly. When we meet with our younger clients, we're so much happier because they can take less risk and still achieve their goals. Okay. So, should I start,
6: though, saving that money for college? Well, mm-hmm.
3: let me chip in just a little bit. This is Deborah, And I would say you don't have to do one or the other. One becomes the other. With seven more years till the oldest goes to college, all of this setting aside of excess or surplus cash flow, once we help you determine what is available to be set aside, would then be available to pay for college and then continue to grow and then be able to pay for retirement. So one becomes the other and you don't have to get Tied up or tangled up into types of accounts that would be just specifically for children. Really, what you do is you set aside as much as you can, knowing that their education is one of your future goals.
1: That's right. We right. don't. Be, we don't believe in setting aside separate accounts for like your children's 529s college. 29s no.
3: Or. So and it. it
6: no.
1: No.
3: So you can you can have much more power control. Um, uh, ability to make it go much further with this kind of analysis just set aside as much as you can a lot of that will be coming out of our first meeting together and it will it'll help you see in real reports what's possible for you to set aside on a monthly basis so that, each of these goals gets accomplished as the children age, as you age, as your husband retires, then you retire. This all has a natural progression to it
2: as part of your overall financial planning. Patricia, this is Linda, and I just want to commend you and your husband. Uh, you know, at yeah. such a young age, I know that you've made sacrifices and you've been diligent uh, to accumulate these personal assets and. You know, yeah, as can
6: I just interject one more point though about the college, I was thinking once the rental was paid off, that income coming from the rental could also help pay for their college.
3: Well, what do you currently own now in how in is our, yeah, how is the four
1: hundred thousand spread? that's that's the crucial aspect there.
6: How is that spread It's all in investment.
1: Well, I realize that, but what what types of investments are you? Uh, stocks, bonds, mutual funds. Are you, are you, in, are you funds. in bond mutual funds? Are you in stock mutual funds? Are you in individual stocks? The,
6: no, it's in um, like stock group or mutual funds. I have it at two separate brokerage firms, So one of them is all mutual funds, and the other is a managed stock portfolio.
1: All right, now do you know what mutual funds you're in?
6: They are middle of the
1: road. Well, There's they're no such thing as the, yeah. I, the, they're, they're not aggressive. They're not conservative. So they're the middle risk. Yeah. I, I, unfortunately, there's no legal term that says middle of the road is a mutual fund. That's 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 not the a, tie, a You know, you can be in. Uh, blue chip growth funds, or you can be in uh, international funds, but there's no such thing as middle of the road. So, do, do you? It's, it's very, it is very diversified at both Berkeley Health.
6: Mm-hmm. It's very yep. diversified.
2: Well, I think that I think it will be. I think if we can spend some time meeting with you and your husband, we can go over your situation, give you the comfort. That you're accumulating and planning for retirement. And the opinion of what they've got. They may have all the wrong funds. So, write down your questions, Patricia. Thank you so much for calling, and everybody, have a great week.
1: And don't forget your financial future is at stake.
0: Give us a call at Lewis Financial Management. You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug, Linda, or Deborah. In Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com. And listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis.